Thank you. Welcome here. Thank you, Matt. I'm going to do something that Matt told me not to do. I'm going to step out of the camera. I'm going to ask my wife for a glass, for a bottle, my bottle of water, so I can hydrate, kind of wet my gullet. <laughs> Thank you. If you'll excuse me while I drink my water. It's a joy to be here. And uh, just a privilege to come here to speak in your church. I've been looking forward to it. And it's all my fault for um, me being here at this one. Because when Matt called me and said, hey, I'd like, love you to preach here, I said, just give, me, just give me something that I can really sink my teeth into, like this, this piece of meat, you know, that I can, I, I can, I, I can get into. Now, uh, I, know one, I knew one person from your church from years ago, uh, Scott Henderson, and the way I met Scott Henderson was he would see me going to the library at Trinity with a suitcase. <laughs> I would take 30 or 40 books out, and so I had this incredible joy. I hadn't taken some books out, so I pulled out my staff card, which allows me to take 60 books, and I took my big suitcase and went and, and uh, got a chance to read. So thank you for letting me uh, do that uh, and, and study, because what we are looking at today is a very, very interesting word, and, and a word that actually brings a lot of feelings or ideas of the people, and most of you have heard this, and uh, we're going to look at it for a moment, uh, but before we do that, uh, I'm reminded when we come to this word uh, of a, a great Peanuts cartoon. And, uh, and the cartoon goes like this. Uh, some of you will remember who the Peanuts are. Charles Schultz uh, was, a, was a Christian who many of his cartoons actually have Christian themes. And, uh, and Lucy, of course, you know, Charlie Brown, but Lucy and Linus. Now, Linus is the resident theologian for the Peanuts. So you listen to carefully what he says because some profound things come out of his mouth. So they're, they're, they're on a day, it's kind of a Vancouver day. You know, they're... Uh, it's raining, it's coming down, and you can't even see them because the rain is coming down. And they're standing in front of a window, and, and Lucy looks out and just with a sad face and says, Oh, is the whole earth going to be flooded? And Linus looks at her and said, with his confidence voice, That's never going to happen. God said in Genesis 9, must have been in the sun, part of the Sunday school where they give them Bibles. God said in Genesis 9 that God will never flood the earth again and he's given us his promise in the rainbow. And Lucy looks at him, just begins to beam with this big smile and she says, oh, Linus, you just lifted a whole weight off my shoulders. And Linus looks at her and says, sound theology tends to do that. <laughs> I hope that you will feel like Lucy, today, I'm not as smart as Linus, but I'm going to attempt and try. And I know that I can do that because we have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God. I don't want to speak my words. In fact, uh, you know, Matt gets to endure this sermon twice. But I'm not very interested in telling you in church history who believed what. I'm not interested. You know? And trust me, I'm a guy who reads that kind of stuff. I devour it. I, I, I grew up. I just, I, my, my parents ran a Christian bookstore, I must confess. So you feel, wow, this guy reads a lot, he reads the Bible. It's because I had incredible uh, a mom. My father died when I was six. My mom 
has what I call the ugliest knees in the universe. My mom has calluses on her knees from praying on a concrete floor for me. I, I'm here not because of anything but the grace of God. I have tried to run from God. I've tried to be an atheist. Anyone here is an atheist, you come to, trying to be an atheist, you, come, you just got lost and came into this parking lot, come talk to me. I've been there. I've read everything that Dawkins, Hitchens, others have read. And I found there's absolutely no, it didn't take. That's because my mom was praying for me. So I'm very, very grateful for my heritage and what I've learned. But I found that the word of God is unfailing. You know, I was, I was sharing with uh, uh, your, your, your children's pastor about how my mom had a rule in our home. He says, no Bible, no breakfast. So I had to memorize a verse from the King James and, and uh, I would tell the verse to her and then I'd get breakfast. I even tried to bring up a verse that I'd memorized two weeks ago and thought I could do a double whammy. Nah, nah, nah. She said, you said that verse. And I remember what verse it was. It was in quietness and confidence will be your strength. <laughs> and, and, and mom said, you said that last week. You have to have a new one. So I had to run and learn. But the good thing about it is I mostly don't need a concordance when I'm in a church. I just got, I can flip it out you know, and, and look at it. And so this morning, I want to get into the Word of God. What is predestination? A word that has caused a lot of problems for us. Now, it's, it's amazing that in this church, someone asked that question. It, it, it means that you're not the average Canadian. By the way, the average Canadian doesn't come to church. So, so you're not average. So the, the moment you stepped in these doors, you went from being average. Is that nice? You're just like way over there. The second thing is the average Canadian doesn't want to know about predestination or anything else. Your church, you're hungry. You're asking a question. And it's a great question to ask because, you know, we sometimes, you know, something like this, the church and the body of Christ has sometimes tried to avoid. Now, we try to avoid that because it's controversial. Now, let me tell you something. That's good news and bad news. I'll tell you a secret. Everything in the Bible is controversial. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus on, for uh, sinners is controversial. I mean, there's Christians fighting about this. You know, yeah, well, Christians fighting against maybe something, well, I think, are heretics, because they're not reading the scripture. You know, read the Bible from cover to cover, it's there. Jesus is controversial, he's man and God. The Bible is controversial, it's a divine book and a human book. Incarnation is controversial. How can God become man? Courteous homo. How can God become man? So everything in the scripture is controversial. So get used to it. We're called to contend for the faith. We're called to get into the word of God. The average Canadian watches TV 30 hours a week. Now, if you're not the average Canadian, you'd be reading those scripture maybe 30 hours a week. And then you'd be giants, spiritual giants in the valley that people like me, you know, they wouldn't have to get a guy, some bald guy, crazy guy, who's got a funny accent, who puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You can't understand what he says. <laughs> My wife has a saying, there's only one guy in the world who can speak faster than you, and that's Paul Chamberlain. So he came to get you used to me. So, I, I'm a little, just a tad bit slower, but then I have the problem of I have this funny accent, you know. I don't say aluminum, I say aluminium or something like that, right? So, things like that. But as we get into this word, we need to see that it's a biblical word. So, we're going to ask some questions about this. And we remember that, you know, some of the baggage we all have is we have baggage from our traditions. I remember years ago, preaching by the way, Matt, just take a look at that clock and tell me how many minutes I have before you drag me out of here. 37. By the way, I'm very good at this. You will go to church exactly on time. I rock at this. Okay, I've got 37 minutes. So I'm going to take, take a good look at this. But, you know, one of the things we have 
is we have a lot of baggage from this. We've either heard predestination presented in such a way that we say, oh, I don't want to know anything about that kind of God. Or uh, we just say, man, that's so controversial. Let's just leave it out. Let's not talk about it. Right? And there's some tensions about some of these things. So we have the, you know, the traditions of human beings. And, and you know, people fight about this. Denominations have fight, fought about this. They've split about this. You know, there's Calvinists. There's Arminians. There's you know, strict Baptists. There's free will Baptists. We have all of this stuff, right? And, and we don't know what to do with it. So sometimes we tend to run away from these things in Scripture. And we want to major on the majors. We want to say, what's the most important things in Scripture? There's only one thing to, you know about in Scripture. Actually, it's the message that we're going to preach this morning. It's not predestination. It's that God saves sinners. Turn to your neighbor and say, God saves sinners. Turn to your neighbor and say, God saves sinners. You can talk in the church. I asked Matt for permission. He says, you know, uh, you know one of the things I said, I like to come to churches like this because I get to see white people. I go to a church <laughs> that has 85 nations in it. When we decide to pray, 600 people show up from, you know, everywhere in the world. <laughs> All kinds of islands and places like that. So, I'm so glad to be here. But, you know, in our tradition, we have so many issues and baggage from our past, from our theologies, from our creeds, from our catechism. This is, what does the Bible say? And that's what we want to ask today. And we, I want to mention one thing before we go anywhere. When people talk about predestination, they usually talk about something free will or something like that. I don't like to use the word free will. I like to use the word human responsibility. Say that word with me. Human responsibility. Isn't that simple? It's very simple. Humans are responsible for God. And the choices that they make are real. Okay? So I believe that completely. In fact, how do I hold these two together? I love a great preacher of the past who said this. He said, I believe both of these things. Human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. In fact, there seems to be a gap that we can't kind of fathom. There's a mystery in this. He says there's enough space to kneel down and worship God. And thank God. Kneeling to worship God is human responsibility. But drawing us to himself, that's God's sovereign, amazing grace. So we sing amazing grace. We're going to look at that today. One is predestination. So we're going to ask three questions to this word. Number one is, where in the world did we get this word from? What is predestination? Where does the Bible teach it? Does the Bible teach it? Now, there is some... We've kind of put these two words together, and people tend to use the word that causes the most fights. You know, four weeks ago, I actually met a guy who came to me and, you know, shook hands with me, and his friend, his, uh, actually his son introduced me to him, and he said, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I'm a Calvinist. <laughs> and my first response was, I wanted to say, you want me to jump up and down? And my question was, do you know Jesus? <laughs> you know, we, we get caught about these things, so I want you to get the weight off your shoulder. Because of one thing. In the Anabaptist tradition, we have a love for Scripture. We're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at, not look at what church history says. We don't care what Augustine says. Augustine said a lot of things that really messed up theology also. So did Calvin. So did Luther. So did Menno Simons. Okay? I mean, you read the history of us with, with, with intention in between truth and heresy sometimes. So we need to be a people of God's word. We need to be a people who look at what God is God's word saying and nothing else. Where does the Bible teach it? Well, I'll tell you this. About election and predestination, the whole Bible teaches it. You start, you start from Genesis. You say God chose Abraham. Why did he choose Abraham? It says in Joshua, God chose him when your father was a wandering Aramanian. In other words, there was nothing in Abraham that made him better than anyone else. God chose him. God chooses Isaac, not Ishmael. 
God goes on to choose Jacob. Not Esau. God goes on to choose David. Not all his brothers who were in front of him. What is God doing? God chooses Israel. And he tells Israel, by the way, if you keep asking me, why do I love you? I love you because I love you. God doesn't give an answer. His choosing of us is founded in the mystery of the unfathomable love of God so that Paul, when he thinks of this kind of theology, he says, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. See, my mom was working well, huh? How unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. The only thing we want to do is establish the glory of God. We want to be in love with God and who he is. And we want to say, let God be true and every man a liar. That's what we do when we go to scripture. Let God be true and every man a liar. Whether he's our pastor and you need to be like the Bereans of old. To go into scripture and says, you know, you have this crazy guy with a funny accent, with no hair, come in and speak at a church and he spoke about this so-called controversial topic and he told us that everything in the Bible is controversial so we need to study it. If all that I do today is to say, you know what, I don't agree with this guy, I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to take 30 hours this week to read scripture. Forget the TV, right? Put it on TV. My poor kids, they grew up without TV. <laughs> Which means... They kind of read Lord of the Rings by the time they were 10. The whole thing. <laughs> Which is good. They learn to read. <laughs> so you can go and read the scripture. You can go and read the scripture in Genesis to Revelation. It takes about 85 hours to read the whole thing. So if you really get committed to this, in this, in this month, you'd have read the Bible. The entire Bible in this month. And if you do it for a year, you'd have read it 12 times. And if you're in 10 years, Matt will lose his job. Because you'll know the scripture better than him. <laughs> good thing we hire a pastor to do only two things. You know the job description of pastors? You need to tear that up and throw it away. Don't worry, Matt's not paying me for this. I speak this, I teach this, I believe this. The job description of a pastor is to devote himself to two things. To the word of God and to prayer. In other words, we're going to support this man so that he will be on his knees and get better calluses than my mom. And he'll be on his knees and be reading the word of God. And from the word of God will come truth that will transform your lives, that will cause you to go into the world and preach the gospel and speak the gospel and live the gospel. And so we want to look at that this, this morning as we look at scripture. Where does the Bible teach it? All through the scripture. We're going to look at some specific passages of scripture today. And then, what does the Bible say about it? We're going to ask that question. And then we're going to say, why does it matter? We have to ask the so what. So what? So what about this predestination stuff? You know, once a year, we kind of ask some questions and someone comes and answers and goes away. No, we're going to see why it makes a difference to how we believe and how we live. Because your belief results in your behavior. And we're going to look at how your behavior can be transformed by believing in what God's Word says about this Word. So let's, let's turn in our Bibles. Okay? Election and predestination. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? There are several passages where this word predestination comes, but I've this passage. I'll make reference to the other passages too. But the words election and predestination, I want to make a small difference between both of them. As we look in the text, you'll see that election has to do with choosing a people. God chose us in Him. Okay? We'll, we'll come to the text. You'll get a chance to open your Bible. Don't worry. By the way, if you're reading your Bible on your iPhone, be careful. Your neighbor thinks you're texting your friend. So it is useful to get a, get a Bible. By the way, people who read the Bible in like a paper Bible, they remember more than those who read on a Kindle. Don't tell the guys on Amazon there, they'll put a contract out on me. 
Okay? So, so if, you, if you have your Bibles with me, you can turn to it. We're going to look into Ephesians. So start looking at Ephesians, the New Testament. Election is choosing a people. And predestination, the word predestination, has to use only six times in the New Testament. Okay? And it says, it talks about choosing a purpose for the people who are chosen. So, slight difference. Now, theologians kind of put them all together and either say, oh, we believe in predestination, or believe in election, whatever it is. Now, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Scripture, and if you, I mean, you look at the Word today, we're going to see that the Word is in the Bible. So, if you turn to your neighbor and ask them, do you believe in predestination, and your neighbor is a believer, they're going to say yes. They're going to say yes, because the Word of God says that. Now, this is where we sometimes differ. We say, what does it mean? <laughs> so, we're going to look at that. Okay? So, if you're a believer, if you believe in the Bible, if you believe that every word in the Bible is inspired by God, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? Martin Luther in his in Graham says, you know, he talks about, and though this world with devils filled will threaten to undo us, and he talks about one little word with a felon, one word from scripture. Powerful. Right? So we're going to look at that word. But we're going to say, what does the word mean? So let's go to the next slide. Predestination in the New Testament. There's six passages in, uh, on predestination in the New Testament. The first one is Acts 4. Acts 4 is talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus was crucified, human responsibility, by humans. Pilate, the council, the Sanhedrin, the elders, they all conspired together to put Jesus to death. A really complex situation. But you know what Peter says? He doesn't say that they, they chose to put Jesus to death. He says they are responsible for putting Jesus to death. But guess what? It says God ordained the death of Jesus. The timing of it, how it was, it's in fact, Scripture teaches that. In prophecy it says, not a bone of his body will be broken. Prophesied many hundreds of years ago. So in other words, in that passage, actually these two issues come together. Human responsibility, divine sovereignty. Come together in that passage, Acts chapter 4. The next passage is Romans 8, 28 and 29. Now, if you had a mom like mine, you had to memorize this too. All things work together for good. It's actually a great verse in the German Bible. Those of you, anyone here speak German? Ein bisschen Deutsch? Yeah, that is good. Yeah. Uh, if I, oh, I, we are speaking English, so we better get, 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 get back to English, right? So in the German it says, all things work together for the best, in that translation. In our translation it says, for the good. I like the German translation for that. All the best. For the best. God works everything together for the best for those who are called according to His purpose. Right? Those who love God and are calling according to His purpose. And it talks about how those who are called were predestined. God has a purpose for them. It goes on what people call the golden chain of redemption where He foreordains or He has foreknowledge. And by the way, foreknowledge in the Bible doesn't mean knowing before. It actually means to set one's love upon someone in intimacy. In other words, really loving someone to set one's love upon. That's what foreknowledge means. In the English, it doesn't really translate well. In English, we believe for is the beginning of something, and it says knowing something ahead. It's not what it is in the scripture. All through scripture, that's what it means. Foreknowledge to set their love upon. And then call in such a way that the gospel call goes out. Why? Through human be- beings. Someone preaches the gospel. Someone shares the gospel with someone. And your neighbor, someone comes to Christ. And then those he calls, he justifies and he, he glorifies and has all this beautiful, amazing chain of redemption. And so we have that in Romans 8, 28 and 29. Then, we have 1 Corinthians 2, 7. And that talks about this amazing 
a knowledge of God that God has, has predestined. And in some translations, it translates it differently. It's the same word, the same one word in the New Testament. Right? The last one is Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at what is called the longest sentence in the New Testament. It's about 202 words in the New Testament. In the language of the New Testament. In fact, it's a, it's a sentence that is so put together that theologians and, 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 and scholars of scripture say, Paul has bad grammar. <laughs> they wonder what it is. You know, but as time has gone by, we've done our studies, and the studies show that it's actually like a Jewish blessing. Paul you know, was very, very much uh, from his tradition, a tradition of prayer. And that tradition of prayer always starts with the Baraka. In other words, blessed be God who gives us bread from the earth. Or blessed be God who has chosen us and brought us out of Egypt in, in, into the, land, in the promised land. So Paul does this and says, and, and we're going to look at this passage here. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Election also is two words. God doing something in us and for us and through us. To be holy and blameless before him. In love, that's his motive, nothing to do with us. He predestined us for adoption as sons. Predestination has to do with purpose. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Look at that. God is always in election, the subject. If you remember your English grammar, you know, the subject, the predicate, there's the object, you know. God is always a subject. In fact, in most of the verses of the Bible, in election, God is always a subject. God is acting. Okay? In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, what's the point of it all? The point of it all, as we look in the next slide, is very, very simple. When we look at predestination, let's, let's go to the next slide. It, yeah, there we have. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined, again that word, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, Jewish people, Paul is talking about himself, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Because Ephesians is about there's no wall between Gentiles and Jews anymore. So that you, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him, you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Look at that. These two truths, predestination, election, and people believing in God, human responsibility, coming together in one text. I hope that takes a weight off your shoulder. That's what sound theology has a way of doing, right? According to Linus. Now, what does it say? It says the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, now we see the work of the Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? until God redeems his possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen. I love the reading of scripture. You know, I, 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 find that, I find that, you know, evangelicals, those of us who say, okay, we believe in the word of God. We don't read enough scripture in our churches. <laughs> Sometimes I tell pastors, I said, read some scripture in your church. 
Sometimes your people, they haven't read any scripture all the week. This is their chance to read scripture. That's why I like reading a large, long passage of scripture. Right? The word of God is powerful. It's living. Right? And, and God is able to use the word of God to do great things beyond what a human being can say. So as, as the word comes, I pray that you will receive the word implanted, that the word will, will come to you. That, that the scripture, as you look at the text, that from the text, God will speak to you. So let's, what is predestination? Let's have the next bullet point there. The only point to be made about the, all this is that God saves sinners. You know, people ask, you know, are you a 5-point Calvinist? Are you 10-point Calvinist? 7.5, you know, 4.2, whatever. I'm not interested in that. Trust me. If you get to talk to me after the service, you'll find that I'm really like crazy. Really like crazy. I mean, but I'll tell you something. I'm 51 now. I have books. I mean, my wife, you know, says, hey, you know, all those books, do you want to put them back on the shelves? I've got books scattered around the house. But I'll tell you what. This book is my book. When I was 17 or 18, I read one of John Wesley's journals. And he said this. He said, oh, give me the book of God. Let me be homo unius libri, a man of one book. And then I read, my father was named John Bunyan. You know, it was said of John Bunyan, I think John Owen, the great Puritan, said, John Bunyan's blood was bibline. If you cut him, the Bible came out of him. And I made a commitment in my life that that's what I would be. And by God's grace, you know, I've just gone back to Scripture. I find that the writings of men, as good as they are, are nothing, a straw, compared to what the Word of God says. You can meditate on the Word of God. That Augustine talked about how, you know, a grown man, an intelligent man, can drown in the water of God. And a little child can play in it. There's so much riches in the Word of God. God saves sinners. God, the Father electing, the Son redeeming, and the Spirit applying the benefits of redemption to our lives. That is the gospel. So when you think predestination, just think God saves sinners. Is that easy? Turn to your neighbor and say, God saves sinners. Amen? Let's look at what sinners are. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, God very, very clearly opens up the word to tell us what we're like without Christ. Here's what we're like without Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In some translations, it says, you hath he quickened. That's in the King James. My mom made me memorize that. But in some passages, it says, he raised you up. But actually, in the text, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. A word that is very controversial. Right? But it's in the Bible, so it's there. Like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy. I think that's one of the best things in the world. That, that connecting word, but with God, but God being rich in mercy. God saves sinners. Sinners are dead in sin. Secondly, they're disobedient to God. The natural man, apart from God, seeks to not do 
God's will. Romans actually clearly says that. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says, There is none righteous, no, not even one. No one seeks after God. We do not seek after God. That is why the gospel is, God seeks after us. We sing that. We say, you did not wait for me to draw near to you. But you clothed yourself in frail humanity. God pursues us. He's the hound of heaven. He's pursued me all my life. I've tried to be an atheist. It didn't take. I had a mother who prayed for me. God seeks us. He pursues us. And we are disobedient to God. And then, we are dominated by Satan. There's another power. And he doesn't wear red spandex and has little horns. In fact, he quotes scripture. He spends a lot of time in scripture. That's why when Jesus went to the wilderness, Jesus says, I'm going to take Deuteronomy. (laughs) I believe that Jesus had memorized the entire Torah. Most rabbis had. And Jesus went there with the book of Deuteronomy and fought the enemy with the word of God. Nothing but the word of God. Because one little word will fell him. We're dominated by Satan and finally, we're damned for eternity. Or doomed for eternity, whichever you feel comfortable with. Right? You know, the word of God is very, not at all politically correct. (laughs) So you want to be a Christian and you're committed to Jesus and you follow the way of the cross, you will never be politically correct. God deliver you from political correctness. I mean, we, we don't need to bring stumbling blocks in front of people except one, the cross. The cross of Christ is controversial. Damn for eternity. But God, let's look at, that's sinners. Now here's the good news. God saves sinners. Here's what God does. You go back to Ephesians 1. It says, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us. Let's look at that in the slide. It's the pleasure of God in choosing us. I chose word from the text. If you look in the text, you'll see the pleasure of God. That it was please God. It was all from God. For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. So it's from God this great love where He chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. It's very interesting that I, I've come across this. I remember teaching at Columbia Bible College. They asked me to teach evangelism. Right? Now, how, how do you get a guy who, who believes all the scripture and, and looks at uh, the, a passage that doesn't believe in election? How do you believe in evangelism? I said, you will not meet a person more passionate than me about telling people about Jesus. Why? Because I, I hold these two truths. I believe in the preaching of the gospel because humans need to hear the word of God. Because how can they hear without there's no preacher? And in hearing, the word of God comes alive. But here's the deal. I use an illustration. You were born into this world. How many of you made a choice to be born into this world? Which mom are you going to have? <laughs> You'd like to do that, right? Which dad are you going to have? Which family are you going to have? How come I should have chosen a family with more money or less money or my dad had an old, you know, 57 Chevy or whatever? You didn't have any choice in that. So why is it such a big leap of faith or reason to believe that we are birthed by a supernatural work of God? Why? You know, we see a baby coming out, crying and screaming, <laughs> We see a lot of people come to Jesus crying, <laughs> right? And, and repenting and stuff of that. What we don't know in the secret mystery of God, there was a time of conception. We don't know that. It's just so simple. It's in, it's in nature. Birth. We see the birth, the baby coming out and say, Hey, I'm alive! You see people come to Jesus. Every week we see people come to Jesus in the church that I go to. Every week. And I'm standing there, I'm crying. <laughs> Watching them. But we don't know the secret work of God. The mystery of God. 
The pleasure of God in choosing us. Not only that, we come to this word predestination twice in this passage. Here's what it says. Let's, let's have that um, bullet point up. It says, He predestined us for adoption as sons. It's the plan of God in predestining us. In other words, before the foundation of the earth, He looked at us. He chose us, not on the basis of anything we had done, but purely from His amazing grace. So you can get on your knees and say, I don't understand this. I don't understand the why me, Lord. But I know that I belong to Him. And I'm so grateful. And then, not only the plan of God in predestining us, but the program of God in redeeming us. So it's very interesting that God's purpose comes out like this. There's eternity past. God, the Father electing. Then there's redemption in the historical past, 2,000 years ago. Jesus comes and dies on a cross, accomplishing a salvation. That's why God says, I've already saved them and glorified them. And from God's point of view. Because God is not bound by time, but in eternity. The program of God in redeeming us. And finally, the purpose of God in possess, uh, purchasing us. It says we are God's possession. God's treasured possession. That's who you are in Christ. He treasured you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. That's the purpose of God in purchasing us. It's in the scripture. It's in the text. The Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches that predestination, election, had nothing to do with us. Had everything to do with God. God is always previous. Now, like I said before, it doesn't take away from human responsibility, from belief, from repentance. All of that is there in Scripture. From choosing to be baptized, to be part of the community of God, to choosing to walk in faith. All of that is there. I don't, I don't like to use the word what people call free will. You know, you're not as free as you think you are. In fact, you're so free, you know what sinners choose? They don't choose God. They're bound. They're bound. And God comes, and like Lazarus, God comes to us. You know, why, you know why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? He has said, come forth. Everyone would have come from the grave. Because the word of his mouth was powerful. By the Holy Spirit. He said, Lazarus, come forth. When did Lazarus hear God? When did he hear him? Lazarus was dead. The worms were eating his hammer, stirrup, and anvil in his inner ear. He was dead. He couldn't hear anything. But Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out. That's the power of God's word. That's what God did. He said, Matt, come forth. He said, Jonathan, come forth. He said, Scott, come forth. He says, Jill, come forth. And we came alive. And he came squalling and screaming and stuff like that. And, and God welcomed him into his family. And his family welcomes us. The purpose of God in purchasing us. And finally, so what? Let's close with that. So what? First, awe, not arrogance. As someone, there's nothing special in us that made us be a child of God. And also no arrogance in, in going out and beating people over the head with the Bible and saying, hey, do you know about predestination? Take that out, out of your style of, of talking to people. Ask them if they know Jesus. That's far more important. And predestination where, that's a biblical word, right? We're going to remember it as God saves sinners. Say that to your neighbor. God saves sinners. You got that? That's the message of it. That's the message of it. We boast in God, not ourselves. That no man can boast. That let God be true and every man a liar. That God's word is true. 
And, then fi- and finally, not only awe and not arrogance, adoration, not apprehension. You know, it's very easy. It's interesting. I chose a hymn for myself as the theme of this, um, this message. Loved with everlasting love. The way that chorus goes is actually the way our brother actually chose a song that says at the end, I am his and he is mine. And I'm going to quote that uh, song to you in a moment. We respond in worship and obedience. We say, Lord, I don't understand this. But I kneel down and worship and thank you and I'm forever grateful. And then we have assurance, not anxiety. Asking the question, the question am I chosen, am I not chosen? That's not for us to ask. It's for us to say, to put our trust in God. That it, with, with, in my heart I believe and my mother confess that Jesus is Lord. And we, we come into faith in Christ. This is the mystery of God. So we trust in the sovereignty of God. He says, God, you promised. I, I'm, I'm depending on your promises. He says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will hear you and I will answer you and you will honor me. And finally, action, not apathy. People who believe in this must preach the gospel. We are not the chosen frozen. We are the people who say, what a great salvation. We are going to go out and preach the gospel because human beings need to repent and believe. That somehow believing in election or predestination doesn't take away from the many, many calls of God and the promises of God in scripture to preach the gospel. We proclaim the gospel with confidence. You know why? Paul was in a, in a city and God said, don't worry, I have many people in the city who believe. And it says in the book of Acts, many who were ordained unto eternal life believed. We see these two truths held together in the gospel. As I close now, because I want to make sure we sing those two songs together, right? The beautiful song, we're going to respond in worship. You know, the hymn that I chose this from was a hymn that my mom taught me. We had a game growing up in church, my sister and I. See, who can sing the hymn without the book? So we had to memorize not only the Bible before breakfast, but memorize the hymns at church. So my sisters and I just quote the hymns to each other. Here's how it goes. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Spirit, the Holy Spirit, breathing from above. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that raised Lazarus from the dead, raises us from the dead. Spirit breathing from above. Thou hast taught me. This truth can only be taught by the Spirit, not by a human being. So if the Spirit of God bears witness in your heart to what the Word of God says, then you know this truth. God has to open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of the blind. We have to know that. That's what he does in salvation. And then it goes on to say, the world looks different. As you go out from here, you know, the world will look different. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. All this full and perfect peace. All this transport, all this rapture, all this joy that is mine. In a love from eternity eternity that cannot cease never cease never stop loving you because he loved you from eternity not on the basis of who you are you are assured and kept safe and kept by the power of God and the people said amen I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing but I'm going to pray with you would you stand with me as we lift up uh, our voices in worship in a, in a, a, a few seconds and praise God as we go on from here as his Lord I want to know the scriptures. I want to hear what you have to say. And Lord, teach me your truth. I want to know it from your word and by your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for taking us on this short route, a very speedy route, 
There is an incredible passage in scripture in Ephesians. How we are loved with an everlasting love. That we are chosen before the foundation of the earth. That we are predestined to adoption as sons. Father's day. For us by the spirit to call you. Abba father. Daddy. I love you. But you loved us first. And we respond to you. And worship. And we pray and praise. And so even as we worship and praise. I pray Lord. That you would teach us. You would teach us to walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. To praise you God forevermore. Amen.